So if you're in here, you can tell, but if you're online, just so you know, my family isn't here today, and that's because we're having a family Christmas at my parents' house, and it's, it's been wonderful. Just a quick highlight for you guys. I got to hold one of my nephews yesterday for the first time. He's getting on four months old, but it's the first time I got to hold him, and uh, without getting too much into the story, there were a lot of complications at birth, and it was it was tricky for it was tricky and it looked difficult for a season. But it, it was interesting how <laughs> the Lord actually chose to spoke to speak to me on it, and I was able to change the way I felt uh, about the situation. I was able to address it with far more hope because of the way the Lord spoke to me on it, and so. I had about a half hour with him, just me and him, and he's just got these tiny little fingers, and I, I cried twice while holding him. It was just, it was this absolutely precious moment for me of being able to connect with my nephew in that way, and it was, it was so precious. So, uh, By way of introduction, my name is Al Westerman. I'm the pastor here. Uh, it's my privilege to be able to share with you today. I really do enjoy every opportunity I have to share what God has laid on my heart. And today, the message starts off in a little bit of a heavy way, actually. I was talking with Natalie earlier this week, and something she said resonated with me. It it went in my mind, because it's something that is so significant to the season of life that we're in. And it also, sometimes something just hits you in a way that's, that's wrong and, and your heart gets broken for other people. Now, what Natalie said was that she knows a lot of people who are afraid to hope. They're afraid to hope. I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And it's sad because hope is something that's so intrinsic to who we are. We're created to be people of hope. We're designed to hope for a better tomorrow. As you're a kid, you hope for a good present at Christmas or favorable grades on your report card. You want to get into a university with a solid reputation. Eventually you want to have a good nest egg <laughs> to be able to retire. You're always hoping for something. And even in daily life, we hope all the time. We, we hope for little things. We hope for big things. We hope all the time. It's something about who we are is we desire for a better tomorrow. We desire for a better, something better to be coming. Now, if you have this fear of hope, this hesitation toward hope, where is that coming from? It's not just coming from nowhere. It's coming from a a fairly significant source. And as best as I can tell, It's a way of guarding your own heart. When you've faced disappointing circumstances and people who disappoint you so frequently, the only thing thing left to do is to guard your heart against that hurt. 
because surely it's better to have very low expectations. If you have low expectations, you can't be disappointed. I wonder if the people in our text today, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, I wonder if they face the same thing. I wonder if they were in a place of despair where they had actually stopped hoping for what they had originally hoped for because disappointment just came too many times. Zechariah and Elizabeth were misfits, so to speak. They're misfits in, in many ways. And as we're going through a series on misfits and misfits at Christmas time, I think it's really suiting that we talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were misfits even in the fact that they were both of the priestly line of Aaron. It's, by definition, that's being set apart. That's being set up. Uh, being made different from other people. So they were already different in that sort of a way, but they, were, they, they didn't fit into society in the fact that one of the things in those days that was just expected was that you're going to have kids. And, and they didn't. And there was, there was this shame, uh, especially from Elizabeth, because of that. Now, I think that they had, at this point, definitely, stopped hoping. They had given up on hope. But we're going to see how a word from the Lord changed all that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that your word is alive. God, thank you that you speak to us these days that you speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you will speak to everyone in this room, Lord, and everyone watching this video online, Lord. Would you speak to their hearts? Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we are going to be in Luke 1 today. I love the book of Luke for a couple of reasons, but I especially appreciate the Christmas narrative when it comes to the book of Luke because Luke was, for all intents and purposes, a doctor. And he went about things the right way. He liked to do research. He liked to investigate what he was talking about. He placed things historically. He placed things geographically. He actually went out and interviewed people. And I'm so glad that he interviewed... I I think we can tell by looking at this text here that he interviewed Mary, mother of Jesus. He interviewed, he got her perspective, what her heart was feeling, different things like this. So Luke really has a wonderful in-depth and historical perspective from this. In the introduction there in Luke, you can see that he he talks about that. He goes out of his way to have carefully examined it all. One thing that's fun to note, I think, is that he's writing to someone called Theopolis. And what that literally means is beloved of God. 
So I like to, when I read that, think that he's talking to me because I am and you are the beloved of God. So we are looking at Luke 1, and we're going to be reading, starting in verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Now there's something interesting in that which we'll get to. But his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, at least as blameless as anyone can. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And when they say very old there, the prerequisite means that they were at least 60. Now, Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go on to the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great In the sight of the Lord, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents and their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When, when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. A quick fun fact. I think this is a fun fact. I, wanted to f- I saw it said, the priestly line of Abijah. And so... This was a string that I wanted to pull. I'm like, okay, what does this mean? Like, does this have any significance? So it goes back to 
King David when he split them into a whole bunch of different divisions to be doing duties for the t- at, at the temple. And it's just the one temple. And so each division would have a certain section of time. The division of Abijah would have it at seven weeks after Pentecost, which would put it roughly mid-June, which means this probably would have happened mid-June. And then we have to do some fun math, and then we find out, because you were saying last week that when when the angel came to Mary, that she was, uh, her cousin Elizabeth was in her sixth month. So at that point, it would have been roughly March. So just my theory, it's just my theory, is that Jesus was probably born somewhere around September. That's just because of all of this math and how all that worked. Just, to me, that's fun. I don't know for you guys that's fun, but that's fun for me. Now, the first line here, we can probably easily skirt over that, but I think it's worth looking into. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. What does this mean? Well, we have to look at this in the historical context, too. We are to believe that this happened approximately four, after about 400 years of the Lord being seemingly quiet, where the Old Testament had concluded, and now everyone believes that the Lord has been silent since then. So we're, we're in a context where the Lord isn't really speaking to people And then we have, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now Herod, this Herod, was also called Herod the Great. And he was not called Herod the Great because of his personality. He was a tyrant. He had exceptional power and authority, which he wielded. But not only that, he also abused. And he is one of the most menacing Kings, one of the most horrifying individuals that you're ever likely to hear about. So when it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, we can translate that to say, in the worst times that anyone can remember. You don't have to look around much to see that we, too, are in a very dark time. We're in a difficult season of life. Coming out of the intensity of what happened over the past two years, it's going to be taking some time to recover from that. Some of you have maybe broken a bone, and, and that's, that's pretty tragic. That's pretty traumatic. But the real difficulty in breaking a bone, the real pain in breaking a bone, isn't just the break itself. It's the time that it takes to recover from that. And we are in this, se- this season of that, I think. Many of us are. We're in this season of recovering from what has happened and what is happening. So in the darkest times that any of us can remember, 
It is at this point that the Lord speaks. God isn't slow in keeping his promises. Some of us view slowness. It is at the darkest time when God chooses to speak, when God chooses to reveal his glory. It was a bleak time for the people of Israel. It was a difficult time for the people of Israel. And Zechariah had this ability, this privilege to go and burn incense in the temple. People think that it's a conservative estimate to say there would have been about 20,000 priests. And he was chosen by lot, which is to say that this was a once in a lifetime opportunity for Zechariah to enter the temple. For many people, they would never have that opportunity. But this is the time when Zechariah was able to enter the temple to burn incense. This is a very significant moment. As he goes in, he meets with an angel. And the angel says two things. It sounds like one thing, but if we think about it, it's really two. He says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, period. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you were to call him John. Now, I think these are two different statements. There's a full stop in there. Why do I think that? Is because I think that they had given up hope. I think they had given up the hope of ever having a child. Elizabeth was past childbearing years, for one example. Another thing is we can tell from his his reaction. In verse 18, he says, how can I be sure of this? He actually doesn't believe it. If he was still actively praying about having a child, wouldn't it make sense that he would have instantly believed him? I think these are two different statements. Now, I th- my best guess as to what his prayer was is the reconciling of Israel. I think he wanted his Redeemer to come. And, and that was his prayer. He wanted God to send the one who was to come into the world. And that prayer was answered because at that moment, remember, at this time of darkness, the Lord chooses to speak. And his plan of bringing Jesus, of bringing reconciliation to the world, comes into play. So the angel speaks to him and, and, and says that your prayer has been answered and your wife will deliver a son. Zechariah wants a sign, and I think he was hoping for some sort of a, a miraculous sign that would be beneficial for all people. And it's interesting, he got a sign, but it, it probably wasn't the sign he would have asked for. The sign that was given to him was he was deaf. He was dumb. He, he, sorry, he was not able to speak. He was still able to hear, but he was not able to speak. And that's a very interesting and significant sign that came his way. You see, they were in this 
place of despair, without hope. But now all of a sudden, the Lord comes and he speaks. Now he comes out and he's all animated. He's all excited. He, he knows what's going to come. He knows what has just changed. The Lord has spoken something very clearly to him, has given him a sign, and he believes now. Something has changed within him. Now that's amazing. If we can go back to the story Brent was sharing with us last week, when, when the angel is talking to, to Mary, I'm going to start in verse 34. The angel shares news with Mary that she is going to get pregnant. Mary replies at verse 34. How will this be, Mary asks the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, check this out. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. Other translations say, for nothing will be impossible with God. That verse right there is incredible. No word from God will ever fail. If we break it down into its original language, the word word there is the word rima. And so we can talk about rima and logos. Now, I wouldn't typically be sharing lots of Greek with you guys, but I think these are two words that are pretty familiar to us. Rima, because we have Rima Christian School right nearby, and Logos, because Logos is so connected with Jesus, Jesus being the Word made flesh. So Logos is the Word of God. It's, it's the Bible. It's the written Word. It's never changing. It's objective. It is what it is. And then we have Rima, and Rima is the impressed word. It is a word perhaps for a season. It is a word perhaps for an individual. I would say a good example of this is adoption. And so adoption is something that we are all called to in, in one way, shape, or form. We're supposed to care for the orphan and the widow. But to some people, the Lord really impresses this on their heart. And they have such a yearning and such a desire for it. This is, this is the Rima word of God. I was talking with Nomi last week, and she has, the Lord has impressed this on her heart. And so she's acted in obedience to this. The Lord has also laid this on my heart, and I believe it's something that's going to be a part of my future as well, is that uh, is, is adoption, is foster care, is, is that sort of a thing. It's the Rima word. Because any time someone talks about it, I come alive inside. And I have a very emotional response when someone's talk, sharing their story about uh, adoption and, and the love of God and the unconditional love and the unconditional love of a parent. And it's just so beautiful that it's the Rima word and it comes alive within you. It happens to individuals for a specific reason, a specific season. So the Rima word is, it illuminates 
the logos. Okay, that's very important for us to understand. The, the rima word will never contradict the logos. So another way of saying that is if, if someone gets a prophetic word or if someone thinks that they have a word from God in some way, maybe it's impressed on their heart or maybe they got a vision or something, a quick way to test it is does it line up with Scripture? And it always 100% has to line up with Scripture. And we have to, I think it's important for us to understand how this changes, how Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to parent. They received a very specific word about John, not only that he was going to live and he was going to be alive, but also about the kind of person he was going to be. It says, for he will be a joy and delight to you. It said, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will go on with the power, the spirit and power of Elijah. Several different things that the angel spoke into, into motion. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth have the incredible opportunity now to partner with God in that. This is who God has made their son to be. This is who he's going to become, so they can now give him opportunities to live into that. If, if he's called to be a prophet, they can, give, they can encourage him while he's lying on, their bed, on his bed and they're tucking him in to see if, just spend some time trying to hear from God or whatever it might be, but it changes the trajectory of how they parent and how they do things. They are now, they're not doing things to work toward that, hoping maybe someday to end up there. They're doing it believing that that is going to be his outcome. This is a very significant difference. When the Rima word comes alive within them, it doesn't just mean that they can kind of hope for it because no word from God will ever fail. No rima word from God will ever fail. They get to now do it from victory. So if no word from God will ever fail, what, what, is that, what does that mean exactly? And it's good to think about. I would put it something like this. Every check that the Lord writes, he has the resources to back that up. Every word that comes from the Lord has within it the power to complete itself. If God says it, it's going to happen. Sometimes the Lord takes his time. Sometimes he takes us on unexpected turns. But if the Lord says it, if the Lord lays it on your heart, he has the power to complete that. This is a, a crucial thing to understand. This is a vital concept. As I said with Zechariah and Elizabeth, it allowed them to live and to parent 
from victory instead of for victory. I have a friend who has been struggling with mental illness very significantly for the past 15 years. And in such a beautiful change of events, the Lord spoke to her, uh, I think two weeks ago today, he spoke to her, and what he said is, your struggles are someday going to be a testimony, and you are going to encourage other people who are walking through what you're walking through. It was something along those lines. Now, she has been struggling significantly with mental health for the past 15 years without any real hope of getting better. But now for the first time in her life, she believes that the Lord has spoken to her about her victory, about her being back in fullness. And it changes everything, actually. She now, for the first time, has hope because she is living from victory, not with the possibility of maybe sometime possibly getting better, but probably not. It changes everything. Another thing that amazes me about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that the Lord affirms. The Lord actually affirms what he said again. He said, can I get a sign? He, he gives another sign about what he's, going to, what he's going to do in John's life. So you remember, part of it was that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born, Right? So when Mary visits Elizabeth in verse 44, it says, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This is, how is this possible except by the Spirit of God? And what is amazing to me too is this concept that when the Spirit of the Lord stirs within someone, the natural response is to move. Even before he's born in the womb, John the Baptist is moved by the Holy Spirit stirring within him. Isn't that a beautiful, isn't that beautiful imagery for us? When Holy Spirit stirs within us, the natural, our natural reaction should be movement. It should be action. It should be doing. That's a powerful thought. And so John the Baptist was affirmed by the Lord, but he was also affirmed by his dad. And I love this. You see the heading at verse 67. It's Zechariah's song. It's a beautiful song. But I want to look at just, I just only want to look at verse 76. Here he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. And you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And you, my child, will be called. And you, my child. And then he goes on to tell his child who they are. There is something so precious that can come from no other source than a father's blessing. 
And we men, we fathers, have this extraordinary opportunity, potential to speak into our child's life in a way that they won't forget, in a way that they value immensely. A father's blessing is so powerful. It holds so much potency. And here Zechariah speaks life into his son. And you, my child, will be called. We fathers have this as well. And it, it doesn't matter if your children are grown. They still crave it. They still crave their father's blessing. They still crave their father's voice. I, I can tell you that from experience. I, um, every time my dad calls me, uh, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a treat, hey? So he was affirmed by the Lord. He was affirmed by his father. Two powerful things. It's birthed out of this Rima word of God. And as we're closing, I want to encourage us to learn to be receptive to the Rima word of God, to when God is speaking into our lives. We are in a difficult time. We are coming out of a dark season. And I can see, I can understand despair. I can understand fear of hoping. My friends, I think it's time to hope again. I think it's time to trust in the Lord that nothing that he says will ever fail. That no word that God speaks to your heart doesn't have the power to complete itself, because it does. I think it's time to live from the victory that God gives us. It's time to live and to be people of hope. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can have hope in you. God, thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are for us. Once again, I just I want to pray that you speak to our hearts. God, illuminate your truth within us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.